We now continue with more of The Mark Milton Show with The Smash on 590 The Fan and 590TheFan.com. All right, you are listening to The Mark Milton Show with The Smash. How do you like me now? One of my favorite karaoke songs. If the mood strikes, do you I sing this? Karaoke. Oh yeah, this is a good. This is a go-to. <laughs> this and should have been a cowboy. I haven't done karaoke in too long, frankly. Yeah. I used to host a karaoke night in the summers over in Belleville. No at way. At a bar called Night Moves on Wednesday nights. You were at Night Moves. Night, have you heard of Night Moves? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Lonnie, yeah, yeah you yeah. know Lonnie? I know who Lonnie is. Tell Lonnie. Really? I said, "What's up?" Yeah, Lonnie actually did karaoke at my wedding at the MAC downtown. He brought his equipment over. Did karaoke in the side room from like midnight till 3 a.m. It was unbelievable. And you quit a great karaoke gig to become the St. Louis tax lawyer. I know. I know. This would have been yeah. This was summers, maybe in college. Uh, yeah. They put on the they put on the marquee outside <laughs> karaoke night. No, we called it ladies' night. It was ladies' oh, night. Really? Because they had karaoke there every yeah. night, and it was ladies' night with DJ Milt yeah. on, the, on the mic. Some Professor, did you ever see DJ Milt uh, in your classroom as a ladies' man? I know you saw him as a student, but uh, as far as being a bon vivant is concerned, was he a ladies' man? Not that I recall, because I th- believe that uh, Mark's wife was also a student. Well, oh, really? ladies' man, I met her there and well, swept well, her off her feet. Bravo. I swept her off her Bravo, feet. I was a 2L. She yeah. was a first year. Yeah. We met at the orientation. Um, you know, they had the tents outside the old law school there. Right, it's yeah, slew law yeah. where uh, where dreams are made, <laughs> lives come together. Absolutely, I remember met her out, out there and uh, <laughs> ended up heading over to Penny Pitchers. It was Wednesday. It was a Wednesday night for orientation. And the the rest is history. Fantastic. So, so Mark was a a true gentleman. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you. I don't yeah. know if I'd go that far. Well, based on what you've heard so far, before we close up the show. How would you grade this guy on this paper that that is the Mark Milton for my show? broadcasting skills? Probably a B minus. Oh, oh wow! Really? My goodness. Just kidding. Room for improvement. I, I think he gets an A. <laughs> oh really? I appreciate okay. it. I, I think he gets an A because he invited me on. That, there you That's go. That's how it works. Smart, I think this could be a booker. regular. I would love to have you back regularly. That would be great. An amazing perspective. I love your insight, your intellect. It's been great. Yep. Uh, this is the Mark Milton Show, broadcasting from the Miller Furniture Studios, presented by stltaxlawyer.com. Remember, yep. the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertisements. Mm-hmm. So that's smash that I am a tax lawyer. I uh, started my career with the Department of Justice Tax Division in Washington, D.C., right after law school. Uh, moved out to D.C., became a trial attorney with the DOJ. And one of the types of cases I handled, uh, you know, with tax season just now being over, uh, were uh, fraud investigations against tax return premiers, excuse me, tax return preparers, uh, and tax shelter promoters. And our office would, uh, working with the IRS, we would investigate unscrupulous preparers who may be putting bogus items on returns, uh, preparing false, false or fraudulent returns. Uh, and one of the big uh, areas of fraud is the earned income tax credit. And the earned income tax credit is a, uh, it's a tax credit available to low-income individuals. Uh, it actually has wide bar- bipartisan support uh, because the idea is if you make money, but you're still sort of below the poverty line. We want to give you a supplement to your your earned to income you. to bolster your your huh. your uh, living uh, living wage sort of thing. So the credit varies depending on your household size, uh, and the number of dependents, and it actually in some cases sounds counterintuitive, but the amount of the credit 
could increase depending on how much more income you have. So within a certain range, the more income you have, the higher refundable credit you get. Huh. So there are people out there who uh, commit earned income credit fraud by literally fabricating income in order to generate this credit. So you'd think most people, if you're, want, if you're dealing with the IRS, you don't want to show income, right? right. If you're going to defraud the government, yeah. here you're defrauding the government actually by claiming you have income yeah, when you go. didn't. And the idea is to generate this credit. So people huh. might put something on a tax return. They may say, hey, I had $15,000 in income from babysitting or haircutting or whatever it may be. Is haircutting a word? Hairstyling? Whatever you may, whatever you may be. Yeah. And so that way they can garner eligibility for this credit. Now, uh, so we, we handled many of those types of cases. And we would go into federal court and ask the judge to basically prohibit this person from ever preparing tax returns again. Uh, there may also have been criminal cases against these people. Uh, and in recent years, the IRS has done uh, something administratively where they try to they go in early and do what's called a due diligence visit. Right. And so they go into a preparer's office unannounced without any warning. And they say, hey, uh, I want to see 25 of your files where uh, you're claiming the earned income credit for one of your clients. And they do that because there's something called a due diligence penalty that the IRS can assert against the preparer. It's a $500 penalty per, per violation. And in my view, and I always struggled with this when I was working for the government, was I always felt like, you know, due diligence is such a hard to define thing, right? Like, how do you define whether someone is exercising due diligence? It arguably could be unconstitutionally vague in terms of what is required of someone prior to being basically accused of violating the law. So my first question, Professor Walker, as a constitutional scholar is, if I were to challenge, and I've never seen anyone really challenge these issues, but if I were to go into court and say, hold, you know, penalizing someone for not exercising quote-unquote due diligence, do you think that would hold up in a court of law as, as something that would be a constitutional standard to hold, hold someone to? Can I stop you, Professor? Have you ever heard him talk this long on a subject that he <laughs> loves? It's uh, crazy. I mean, you were his professor. I'm impressed. I, I think Mark knows a lot more about this than I do. So it's a vague standard, and there are vague stand standards all, all over the place in law. I think the, the larger question is what, what do you do about federal agents showing up and basically yeah. kicking in your door and asking for files? Ooh. I think that's running into Fourth Amendment. Absolutely. Territory. So I actually did get a call from a client where this happened. The, in middle of tax season, keep in mind, I mean, I've gone through this. I prepare taxes myself. So if someone came into my office, middle of tax season, started barking orders, asking for documents, terrifying the customers too. I mean, in most of these offices, you got people that, that sit and wait for their returns to be prepared, yeah. especially in the lower income urban communities. Um, and so I basically told the state, I was like, listen, uh, you need to leave. Uh, you're not welcome here. You're not authorized to be in his office. If you want to investigate him, then you issue a summons. That's yeah. the investigative tool you have. These quote-unquote due diligence visits, which yeah. sound nice and sort of charming in a way. It's just, oh, it's just a due diligence visit. Yeah. We're going to come kick the tires, see what's going on. There's no authority for it in the Constitution to do that. It's an unlawful, uh, in my opinion, unlawful search on the Fourth Amendment. Uh, and the, the preparer has every right to tell the person, uh, no, you're not going to, you're not welcome here. You can talk to my lawyer or you can send me a summons, whatever it may be. And so uh, that is definitely an issue that, uh, that I've seen, that I've raised concerns about to the IRS. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of investigative tools that the IRS has if they believe someone is committing wrongdoing. 
and these due diligence visits, in my opinion, are, are just a total overreach. And, and I hope the agency, you know, will, will rethink their approach because I just think it, it, it creates uh, unnecessary tension. Uh, it, 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 it creates, in my view, a, a situation where the IRS is, is really kind of, to your point, it's kind of an Orwellian type situation where you've got a government agent coming in unannounced, demanding things, and, and there's a much more formal process that they could pursue to, to do that. So uh, I may be calling you as my uh, as my expert witness if I ever have a case that goes forward where we actually challenge this. Because I did, I actually was successful in one case, the IRS agent, uh, uh, where I responded and said, you can issue a summons and conduct the investigation under a normal you know process, but we're not going to subject ourselves to these due diligence visits. She went out and slapped my client with $100,000 in penalties Ooh. for 200 violations Whoa. with no evidence. And we took it to appeals and we got zero. We got it yeah. reduced all the way to zero for making many of the arguments we just did and, and holding them to their burden of if you're going to impose a penalty on a preparer, you bear the burden, government, of, of showing that there was actually wrongdoing here. Would you say that the penalty also is the hassle that is put on the person? Because that's not like nothing but a big hassle to me. Man. Oh, tremendous. Yeah. yeah. But unfortunately, I mean, you do as a license. So the IRS does license tax preparers, which that's a whole nother yeah. segment. Um, basically, to get a license to prepare tax returns for other people, you have to demonstrate that you don't owe taxes yourself and you're not a felon. There's really very mm -hmm. low standards to become a paid preparer, uh, which is why you've seen the proliferation of H&R Block, Liberty Tax, Jackson Hewitt. I mean, anyone can literally open a franchise and become a tax preparer, which is a little bit concerning. Mm -hmm. um, well, I appreciate your input. Uh, we try to do a tax topic every week. We had a lot of good uh, discussions beyond that here on the Mark Milton Show with the Smash. Uh, professor Anders Walker, constitutional law, criminal law, American history professor at St. Louis University School of Law. We really appreciate you being here. Yep. Uh, we look forward to your appearance on Tucker Carlson. Uh, we also look forward to me replacing Tucker Carlson when he runs for president on Fox News, uh, filling uh, Bill O'Reilly's old spot. That would certainly be a dream come true. Well, thanks for having me. This has been uh, a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you. This is the Mark Milton Show with the Smash. We'll be back next week. Find us on iTunes, 590thefan.com, and themarkmiltonshow.com.